You're listening to a Mash Those Buttons podcast, brought to you ad-free with the support of our patrons. Visit mashthosebuttons.com or stay tuned after the show for more details. about Warcraft story and lore. My name is Nick Zelenkevich, and I'm Gragthar, Torn Hunter on Skywall US. And normally I'd be joined by Katie, who's also Clanker, Goblin Resto Shaman on Earth and Ring US. Uh, and today is June 30th, 2021, and this is episode number 129. And since Katie's not here, let's go back to the MCU. Let's continue that WandaVision series that I started. This time we're going to talk about Loki and how the TVA is very much like the Kyrians of Bastion. No, I'm I'm, I'm not going to do that. Although there is meat on those bones. You could discuss that. Um, But not in the way that you think, because there's a very obvious comparison between the two. No, I want to talk about how uh, you have the Soulbinds, where they're all friends, like Pelagos and Clea and and the player character. They all kind of, you know, bond together. And I think you're seeing Soulbinds between Loki and Mobius uh, and uh, one of the other characters there. I think you could make that argument, but that's not what I'm going to talk about today. So instead... uh, what I want to talk about. And I, I do want to point out, uh, normally Katie and I would be talking about the uh, last five stories in the folk and fairy tales book. We will get to that next time. Uh, cause we are excited to talk about them. Uh, some, some of those stories there were, were the, the, the stories that we have left to talk about are the ones that had the, like the hardest, like punch in the gut kind of emotional feels. Um, they're the stories that, you know, you read when somebody's cutting onions. So we will get to those. Uh, but first I want to talk about, Copernicus. And I don't mean uh, Doc Brown's dog from the 50s. Uh, Copernicus uh, is the scientist from the, was it the 1500s? Who, uh, you know, he's the guy that basically came out and said that the earth revolves around the sun. And this, you know, contradicts, you know, centuries of, you know, uh, centuries of dogma. That's, you know, and, and I guess science, uh, you know, the science of the time anyway, uh, that said that the sun revolved around the earth. And, you know, it's, it's such a monumental discovery and, and more so a realization um, that, you know, here it is, you know, 500 years later and we're still talking about this guy. And I think what Blizzard has done is they have unleashed the... Shadowlands version of Copernicus on us. And what I'm specifically talking about here, and this is all with respect to the grimoire of the Shadowlands that's coming, and, and I'll, I'll get into the tie-in there, but in Tazavesh, which is the broker mega dungeon that is, I think it's live already. I actually haven't uh, had a chance to check out to see if you can actually get in there. Uh, I think it's live, I, I want, which I want to say means that this lore book should be live. Um, but there's a lore book that you can find in Tazavesh, and it tells the story. Well, well it's not so much a story. I mean, it's, it, it tells, it starts by talking about an incident, uh, and it's f- from members of Cartel Al, 
and uh, they're talking about how Al Farim was the uh, a broker uh, who becomes known as the Mad Scribe. And you you sort of learn how he becomes to be known as a mad scribe because in a lot of ways, uh, you know, this is similar to I don't I don't, I don't know if, if if Copernicus was persecuted in the same ways, um, but you know when when somebody comes out with some revolutionary ideas like this, um, you know they're not often taken seriously at first. They're regarded as kind of a heretic, and you know it's only through a broader understanding that people then come around and realize like oh no that guy was actually right. And we should be listening to this guy. And that's kind of the position that Al-Farim has. Uh, because the, first you get a little incident report that, you know, is, is other brokers' views of him. And then you get the actual story, uh, you know, Al-Farim's Al notes as he goes on this journey. And Al-Farim is tasked with sort of writing down the, like an explanation of the cosmos. Basically, his job is to draw the cosmology map that we were given in Chronicle, you know, back in 2016, except he doesn't have Chronicle because they don't have that in the Shadowlands. And I wonder, knowing this and then seeing the notes that we've gotten, I wonder if he's not going to be the author, well, the author in quotes, I mean, the actual author is Sean Copeland and Steve Denuser. Um, but if, if uh, the grimoire of the Shadowlands isn't going to be written from his perspective and we're going to get like his completed notes, basically what, it, it, what I'm saying is that this Tazavesh lore book, it reads a bit like the grimoire of the Shadowlands seems like it's going to read, but it's in game. And then the grimoire will be outside the game and it will be much fuller and, uh, you know, have more information because if I paid like, was it like $40 or something for about, what's this? Like maybe like 20 pages of, of, of half filled notes. Um, you know how the in-game books in Blizzard, it's like maybe like a paragraph of text per page, if that. If I paid $40 for that, it better have some very nice pictures. <laughs> and I hope I didn't just read the whole thing on Wowhead here instead of actually getting to dive into it. But um, no, I'm very much looking forward to that coming out to the point that I'm going to talk about this now. That, you know, so we, we get this report of Al-Farim. Uh, you know, he's regarded as the mad scribe. And uh, they talk in particular... Again, now this is Executor Al-Hatar, uh, who would effectively be Al-Farim's boss. Um, and he says, they talk about our mission remains focused on following the path of the first ones and securing their secrets. Uh, let's see here. It shall be seen whether the information leading to the sepulcher proves to be on tangible value, but we will, of course, be diligent in our investigation. So we know that they're looking to figure out the first one's secrets and that they're looking to. Uh, you know, find the sepulcher. And this isn't the first time we've heard of the sepulcher. I think it's Cartel Ta in Oribos that if you stand around and, you know, as, as you want to do and you're, you know, going to one of the vendors, you'll hear this in the background. Uh, but there's a, I think it's Cartel Ta where there's two uh, brokers talking about looking for the sepulcher. And then one of them was like, shh, don't, don't talk so loud. We don't want people to know we're looking for the sepulcher. And I think later on in the little uh, information that we have here, uh, Alpharim actually points out that there is a sepulcher of knowledge in Maldraxxus, which if you've done all the quests in Maldraxxus, you've come across it. It's this tower in the middle of a marshy area. You have to get, like go through a cave to get into this little marshy valley. But there's not, you know, it seems a little bit weird. Like, well, if, okay, we can just like walk into the sepulcher that everybody's looking for. What's the big deal? Uh, well, it turns out that that's not the sepulcher everybody's looking for. Alpharim is very explicit in saying like, yeah, the, the one in the Maldraxxus is not the sepulcher of the first ones. This is something much different. So, 
in this sepulcher, there's presumably knowledge that the first ones have that will explain everything. And so, so Alpharim, he sort of goes on this journey because he starts here. Uh, he says, uh, surely, sure, the sepulcher of the first ones exists beyond any measure that one such as I could hope to comprehend. And I possess far more knowledge of these matters than most. Um, and so he's looking for the sepulcher and he starts talking. He starts, he starts almost getting lost. He sounds like he sounds a bit mad because of the way he's talking about it, he talks about fractals and how there's patterns. And uh, here I was lost in the glyphs, the geometry, every path seemed to curve in upon itself. Nothing made sense until it did that he's, it almost seems like in a way he's actually drawing the map the cosmology map that we have. But if you're trying to actually piece that together with whatever, you know, whatever sort of information he has, it, you know, it, it's going to come out a little bit scattershot at first until he can kind of, kind of hone in on it. And, you know, at first, you know, the first entry really, there's not too much there to get into because he's just kind of laying the groundwork. He kind of comes across as a little bit mad uh, because he's what, he, you know, he's talking about the truth and uh, he says, like, understand, despite this being the most wonderful re revelation of my stored career, I stand upon the merest precipice of understanding. The language of the first one seems to shift and grow as I find greater depth within it. That he's, as I said, like, this is a story of him piecing things together. And so the first part isn't really, you know, well, it's actually not in the first part, it's the forward. But it, it doesn't really give you any any information. And then he starts to get into what he's actually working on, what he's actually putting together. And this is, this is in part one here. Uh, but he, he talks about there are references to forces so primal that we have no frame of reference for them, rolling and churning of measured and deliberate. The words here have multiple meanings. I must set them aside for now. What is clear is that great powers took shape. There are numbers within numbers, my friends. At first, I thought only two until I perceived an infinite array. Oh, the terror of it. But as of late, I have settled on six, possibly seven, but the last might be an artifact of the geometry, a fractal. Uh, these six forces existed in strife. Uh, they came together or were brought together, depending on how one interprets the fractal, and gave form to their design. Forged, scribed, shaped. The exact word is elusive. Each architect gave a portion of themselves, and thus the pattern was drawn. It is from here that the language becomes clearer. And so, uh, as each emptiness abated and grew fuller, the pattern alone was not enough. Shapes arose within shapes, begotten by the six to beget more. Now it grows clearer, more certain, each layer more fathomable to a meager mind such as yours. Six realms, many intersections, countless fractals. In balance, possibly, but that might be wrong. If six equal one, then what is the other? The one outside the pattern. And so here, he's found the six elemental magics, you know, of, uh, you know, Death, life, arcane fell, and uh, void, and light. You know, he's, he's, he's found that. And then there's a seventh one that he keeps talking about. And he's not clear. It's not clear. Is it a seventh form of magic? Or is it a, is it sort of the, like an artifact of the, the way everything came together? And I think the implication, in so, in so much as any implication can be drawn here, is that the seventh one that he's talking about could be a remnant of the first ones, that that's what the first ones did. And, and I mentioned this because what's interesting is we know that in patch 9.1 here, the jailer in particular is introducing a new kind of magic that we haven't seen before, domination magic. And we don't really know where that fits in. Is that like, is do, the you know, domination magic, is that like a sub-school of, of death magic or is that, is that something else? And I wonder, because again, the jailer very much looking for the information on the first ones, 
Is this something that he's picked up from, you know, in his, in his studies? Is this something that he's learned outside the scope of everything else that he's, he's, he's actually managed to find, you know, this domination magic and start to use this, um, which is not something that he would normally have access to. And the reason I mention this is because if Al-Farim here is talking about, you know, these six forces being forced into alignment, those six forces are being dominated. And is domination magic then the basis of magics that was used to formulate the universe? Is that what we're is that what we're looking at? Is that what we're dealing with with the jailer? That he that this is the most primal of magics. That this is the one that you know supersedes them all, and that's the power that the jailer wants. Because if if he gets that, I see how that could be a problem. <laughs> We're literally off the page if that's the case, um, you know, trying to figure that out, trying to deal with that. Uh, so, yeah, he's going to be a fun raid boss when that day comes. But it's interesting because, again, you have al and he's trying to piece this together here. And I, I, I assume, again, when we get Grimoire of the Shadowlands, that this, it will go into this more in depth and it'll be more of a journey that he goes along on figuring all this out, putting this all together. Because even then in the foreword, he's writing the foreword after having, you know, at the end of the journey, that's when you write your book is at the end of the journey. So you're writing the forward after you've gone on all this. And so he's writing that with the full knowledge of everything he's about to describe in the other notes here. And so for him to come across, even to an observer, like an unbiased observer is a bit heretical, just in how he sounds. Um, you know, he sounds like somebody who's, you know, stumbled onto something massive that can't quite contain their, their excitement over it, but can't quite explain it either. Uh, and that can be a bit uh, you know, that can be a bit harrowing for somebody to come across and, and to have to deal with, uh, a little bit intimidating. So let's move on here to part two. And he talks about how he was traveling around, uh, he met, you know, look, looking through different realms, and he, he goes to Bastion. And in Bastion, I met an eminable aspirant who told me of a great archive of knowledge, countless records of souls the Kyrians carried across from the mortal realm, as well as collections of their own long-shed memories. The aspirant was even willing to bring me to this repository until a nosy steward alerted one of the ascended. Some ages later, I secured an invitation to a tournament in the arena of Maldraxxus. Uh, oh, here he talks about, uh, I made my way to an ancient library nestled between the great houses. They called it the sepulcher, but I assure you it was not the one we seek. Um, and then uh, he also talks about uh, how he found histories of great battles fought against the outer plains of the rise of all of legendary combatants of the mighty weapons forged and lost. Uh, when I asked if there were any older tomes, the implacable liches told me there were they were for the eyes of the Primus alone, and I was commanded to leave at once. It was not until I arrived at Ouroboros that I found others who shared my curiosity. Among the Arbiter's attendants was a knowledgeable sort named Kasher, who had seen many ages pass through the course of his duties. Uh, and then he talks about Kasher for a little bit. Yet, yet within all his words and the rituals of service he allowed me to observe, I found little of true value. The city had stood forever, he said. The Arbiter was ever wise and just, he said. Ours was not to question those from beyond the veil to facilitate their journeys, he said. It was when Kasher let slip that he had shared some conversations with an old rival of mine. I vowed she would never thwart me again, that I knew this was a pointless course. I left Kasher to his blathering. So there's some questions there about who the old rival is. Uh, could it be Venari? Uh, could it be someone else? So that I think we'll come to learn. Uh, they're intentionally vague about this here. Uh, could be somebody that we encounter in the Tazavesh dungeon. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll we'll get to that. But this one's really just about kind of establishing 
establishing Alpharim sort of within the actual Shadowlands and kind of establishing that what he needs is beyond the Shadowlands. The the the, the, the actual as much as it's gonna be called the Grimoire of the Shadowlands, um, you know, we know enough about the cosmology of the four realms at this point, uh, you know, and Oribos and the Maw, to really, you know, like he's looking beyond that. And I'm sure we'll get more information about those realms anyway, because it, it is all pertinent. Uh, but then he goes, the next uh, part three here, he talks about the Hundred Eyes of Eric II. And this is where the Copernicus metaphor begins to come into play. Because he meets with this Eric II fellow in Oribos. And this is when it starts to dawn on him. Because I said something like this, I don't know, at some point on the show. Where I, I was talking about our cosmology chart and the chart and like and, and the picture we're going to get painted in the, the Grimoire of the Shadowlands. And I, I said that from our perspective, you know, being on Azeroth, being embedded in reality, you know, our, you know, Azeroth is the center of the cosmos. Azeroth is the focal point and everything effectively revolves around that. But for the brokers, who are over in the Shadowlands, they're going to have their chart centered around death. And so it's going to look vastly different. And then the question sort of becomes, well, which one's right? Because it's all a matter of perspective. And what we're seeing here is that that was true, that that's the chart that Alpharim was trying to put together. But the problem, and it's a similar problem to that, the, uh, you know, uh, that you had other, uh, you know, you had other scientists like, you know, Ptolemy, for example, who, you know, who's, you know, famed for sort of establishing the Ptolemaic model of everything, revol- you know, everything revolving around the, you know, the sun and the, the, everything revolving around the earth that, you know, they had to kind of sort of come up with a bunch of, you know, like, you know, like little models with little, you know, jury rigs and whatnot and kludges in order to get everything to fit together. And that's kind of where Alpharim is coming from, that if you center that cosmology chart on the Shadowlands, it doesn't make sense because it's not balanced. Like the way that chart is now, you know, you've got the Shadowlands counterbalanced by the Emerald Dream. You've got the six forces all spread out evenly around. And even then, I don't think it's quite that even because if you break it out in like a 3D view, you know, it's probably more like a cube or something. And then you've got the intersectional points at all the corners of the cube and whatnot. And it, you know, it, it feels more symmetric and you can kind of even imagine like the fractals that he's talking about of, you know, like the Shadowlands being an intersection point. And then also, uh, you know, all the different forces having intersection point and then, then planes and the, the, you know, the elemental planes for that matter. You can see how that all fits together. You can see how that all makes sense. But the problem is that he's got to reorient his view. And this is where that reorientation starts to take place because he meets with this, this hundred eyes of Eric two fellow. Um, you know, he says, uh, it was upon st- storming out of the attendants present that I stumbled on a true find, uh, passing through Arbos on their way to another de- destination. I encountered a transcendent soul. They held a form I did not recognize for they resumed a shape resembling the one they held in the mortal plane. Uh, they said their name was Eric too. And though I asked thrice where they had come from, the name of their home was one I could barely understand, let alone repeat or inscribe. Uh, it appeared Eric too spoke with four tongues and in concert with the clicking of many legs. It, I did at times have trouble catching every detail. Uh, Eric too claimed the place beyond the veil was populated by countless worlds, many inhabited by all manner of beings very different from their own people. Uh, when I asked if this world theirs was rich with anima, Eric too assumed an expression I took to be puzzlement. Uh, the living did not trade in anima, they said. I, a, phrase, a phrase I asked them to repeat several times to be certain I heard it correctly. No anima? How? 
could their existence truly be so different from our own? And right here is sort of the beginning of Alpharim like getting broken out of his paradigm that anima as we've seen is used for everything in the shadowlands it's not just a currency it's not just the lifeblood it is it's not just like the essence i mean it's everything and that, that's why the anima drought is so vicious to the shadowlands because it's you know it, it's like it's air but it's more than air it's air and the ground that they stand on and the you know like the matter that they're made of basically you know anima literally is everything in the shadowlands and so you know the anima drought is so you know distressing to them but the other side of that is you know for them to then have to imagine an existence without anima is mind shattering that this is you know again this is what he's known this is and especially in traveling the shadowlands and learning all about the various shadowlands he's never encountered a situation where anima wasn't anima where you know it wasn't sort of the 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 main currency the main goal the main focus you know, it's 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 always been up there, and and now he's finally encountered someone who says, "Yeah, anima, no, that that's not anything. That's not a thing for us. We don't we don't care about that." And then when you start to realize, like, wait a minute, so there's another, there are other realms here outside of the Shadowlands, and anima is not a thing out there. And then you start to think, like, okay, well, that means everything I've assumed that you know I can't take anything for granted. I can't assume anything about the way that the Shadowlands are. Is it all similar to the way things are out? in the, you know, in the other realms, I have to, you know, kind of take the realms as they come and, and sort of have an open mind when I go into, you know, studying them. And so here, so Eric too assured me, he, they told me of this realm of mortals where their an, an, animalist existence ceased with the terminus of their fragile forms. Eric too met their end in a terrible war, they claimed, their home ravaged by the demons of the twisting nether. I nodded in some camaraderie, for we all recall the tale of the Burning Legion's assault on Eldraxxus and the terrible cross of the Necro Lord's victory. So, okay, there we go. Again, now the Burning Legion of Eldraxxus, uh, you know, that sort of explains Draka, you know, doing a raid on the Legion that, uh, you know, it's not clear when this assault happened, but it wouldn't be surprising if Maldraxxus is just in a, you know, perpetual state of uh, caution with respect to the Burning Legion and constantly spying on them to make sure that they don't do it again. So, you know, so Draka attacking the, the Legion, that makes sense. That makes sense that we would see that. Uh, Eric too brightened when they recalled the Arbiter's kindness and sending them along to a hive where others of their kind shared a long and pleasant coexistence. Uh, after many ages of caring for their kin, Eric too is ready to venture on, returning to Oribos to marvel at its splendor. Of course, I asked Eric too what they knew of the origins of the realm of mortals, but what they told me made little sense. Does every mortal believe a different tale of fancy? Which, yes, we'll get into that uh, next week in uh, the uh, Grimoire of the, or not Grimoire, in the uh, Folk and Fairy Tales, because we have, we talked about uh, the uh, the Earth Mother story, uh, the Torin creation myth. Uh, one of the remaining stories we have to get to is the Embrace, which is the Night Elf creation myth. So we will... Uh, you know, again, we'll see sort of, you know, the two tales. We, and then, you know, it's interesting there to compare what's similar, what's different. You know, is there anything that can be drawn, uh, you know, between the two stories? Because, again, they're, you know, they're myths. And it, it's it's interesting to consider how much might be rooted in the truth. But then again, you know, you're not gonna necessarily going to find a lot of truth in these myths. Uh, but those stories were included for a reason, and we'll talk about that. But uh, so then... Uh, so then uh, Alpharim concludes, so it seemed even the halls of Oribos could not grant me the truths I sought. Mortal souls believed in a myriad of myths that spoke of false gods while we basked in the splendor of being true might. 
We were blessed, blessed in the presence of the Arbiter, the Archon, the Winter Queen, the Sire, and the Primus. Until I found a deeper truth on my way to the Sepulchre, my mind and my mind splintered at the Fractals. So we still haven't quite arrived at the Fractals yet, and here we're going to now. So it's uh, the nature of the six, possibly seven, possibly infinite. And that's a nice little little thing that Blizzard's put in there because um, as they like to grow the lore, I mean, if you think about it, the lore itself is a fractal that we start with a very basic story, orcs versus humans. Orcs, you know, come in from an evade, you know, from a foreign planet, raid, raid the humans, you know, and then, you know, you get to pick which side of the RTS you want to play. But now we have to dive deeper into that story. And so as you start diving in deeper, you get more lore about the Horde and the Shadow Council and, and you know, the, the Gul'dan and the various members. And then for the humans, you get more about the Alliance and the, you know, the elves of Quel'Thalas and, and the, the dwarves of, of Ironforge. And okay, and now, you're, you know, as much as you're starting to get the world fleshed out, which is what that is, but it's all, you know, it's, it's like you're zooming in. You know, imagine. You know, like one of those pictures of, uh, you know, one of those pictures of fractals or, or like uh, what uh, Dr. Strange when everything's turning into hands and it's like, you know, his fingers turning into hands and then those, you know, the fingers on those hands are turning into hands. You know, it, it's, it's a, you know, you keep zooming in, but you never get zoomed in all the way because it keeps expanding and growing because then, you know, then, you know, as we, we dive into the orcs and we learn about the horde, then we learn about Draenor, we learn about the Draenei, and then we learn about Argus, and then we learn about, you know, it, it just keeps going and going and going. And, and, you know, at no point can you stop the lore. I mean, and that, you know, that that's one of those things that I find fascinating is, you know, and it's not just that they're expanding the lore with every expansion because events progress and, and stuff. Um you know, new characters are added, but I mean, you know, we could try to, you know, like catalog every single character that's currently in World of Warcraft. That would be an undertaking, but that would be a fascinating way to look at the lore. How does this character here in, you know, some random vendor in Orgrimmar, how do they relate to the history of the Horde and whatnot? How do they relate to, you know, the, you know, the fourth war? Um, you know, you start to dive into some of these characters and some of them would just be, oh no, this guy's a vendor. We're moving on. Uh, and some of them would have stories and whatnot. And that's, it's just this constant, you know, expansion of, of, of the mythos. And that's kind of what he's getting out here, except instead of, you know, I'm talking about like the story being a fractal, he's talking about the, the, the cosmic powers as it were. He's, he's, you know, getting into that chart that we have. And so he says, uh, it takes a truly exceptional intellect to transcend what one is taught and retaught by so-called scholars open to only a narrow possibility. Eric too spoke a thousand truths, which, which I at first took as a sign of scattered indecision. But the key to interpreting the writings of the first ones lay in setting aside what I had believed and accepting a greater reality beyond it. Suddenly, I perceived the pattern in its fractals, not as one truth, but as layers of intersecting truths. Just as we, from our first moment of consciousness, know that death is the foundation of all existence, so there are beings whose nature is fundamentally different from our own. And that's what I was talking about right there. That's when he's finally like, okay, 
I can't assume just because we've been, you know, I put death front and center and we have this anima full existence. I can't assume that 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 applies to everyone else in the universe. I have to kind of take them where they are and use that to figure it out. Because once you start looking at other people's perspectives, then you can start to see, okay, if, you know, it's almost like triangulation. Like if I can see that thing from this point and that guy can see something else from that point, you know, uh, or or not even triangulation, like imagine like two people looking at, you know, like two sides of of an object. And you're trying to draw a picture of the full object. You can only see the side that you see. And so you got to find out from the other guy who's standing over there what he sees on his object, you know, from his side. And then you can start to get a feel for, okay, like this is what the object looks like at an angle. And that, that's kind of what he's getting at here. Uh, so he says, imagine then based on the truths that I've told you that each of these forces could, and I stress could, for the fractals may yet reveal another path, be embodied by a host of transcendent beings as powerful as one as our own eternal ones. And so right here. Right here, what he's saying is like, okay, so we've got these six, possibly seven forces. And for our force, we have this, you know, pantheon of death. We have the eternal ones. Well, are there eternal ones for the other realms? It's basically the reason we call them the pantheon of death. They don't call themselves the pantheon of death. They call themselves the eternal ones. You know, we started calling the pantheon of death because pantheon was the word that we had in our vocabulary to describe you know, a handful of superly massive, powerful beings who sort of control the realm. And that applied to the Titans, who are the pantheon of order. And so, yes, then it becomes a question of, well, if there's a pantheon of death and a pantheon of order, where, you know, where are the other pantheons? I find interesting the theory. I think it was, I think it was Jin over on uh, Live, Laugh, Lore, um, who said that it's possible that a loon could be a pantheon of a loons that what if what we call a loon is actually one of several different characters that we don't understand that when we're dealing with them, we just, you know, we see a light being come down. And of course, because they're light, we can't see them because, you know, you can't stare at the light. So we have no real way to perceive that we're dealing with se- several different individuals. They're just so massively powerful and we just call them a loon. And then later on, we'll find out like, oh no, there's like five different people and they are, they're all different and weird. And that's what makes, you know, some of the different facets of a loon so interesting because it could be different people or it could be, you know, then again, a loon is described as an upstart goddess, which I'll get to a little bit later. Um, so maybe a loon is a loon, like maybe there's a pantheon of a loon and a loon's the main one, but there, there could very easily be other light beings or maybe there were, you know, I mean, that's the, that's the other thing to consider here. Um, you know, like what does the pantheon of fell look like from our perspective? The fell titan is Sargeras. And, you know, he has, you know, his lieutenants in the Burning Legion, but they don't, you know, an Archimonde and, and Kill Jane, don't get me wrong, they're no slouches. But they don't, they're not like Titan level. So is was there another fell pantheon somewhere that Sargeras took out at some point that he joined? that he doesn't even know about maybe they're just chilling and they just let the legion do the legion thing because they're like yeah we agree with that you know we can just chill and, and hang out in planets or whatever they do and then of course we have the uh the life magic pantheon which we'll have to get to at some point and then we have what did i miss oh the void lords well yeah the void okay the void lords would seem to be their pantheon that we'll get to at some point definitely i i think the way things have been set up I would be amazed if we never found out anything about the Void Lords. I think we'll learn more about them in time. So, yeah, so it seems likely that there are other pantheons that we will need to deal with at some point. I wouldn't be surprised to find out 
that the pantheon of the Titans as we know it is actually made up. Like, because you have ENR, and everybody was saying ENR could have been uh, the Winter Queen's sister. And I didn't really buy into it at first, but then I kind of thought about it. Like, okay, I can see where they're coming from, at least. I still disagree, but I can see at least the logic, you know, the, the basis for that, that theorizing. And ENR feels, I don't want to say wrong, but I mean, she's definitely like the nature magic aspect of the Pantheon of Order. So it's kind of like, did, did they borrow her from the life plan? I think the same kind of applies to the Winter Queen, but at least at least the Winter Queen makes sense in that, you know, like life, you know, has to have like a deathly counterpart. Like, you know, um, you know, they said like the Emerald Dream is like spring and summer. And so, the you know, uh, Ardenweald is like winter fall. You know, that makes sense. But yeah, it's, it's, it's what is the, the pantheon of life going to look like that? I'm curious about that. So here, so let's get, get here. Uh, he says, uh, a few final questions for your consideration, good reader. What if, again, this is still purely speculative, the mortal plane is not some distant corner of reality that the first one's created to supply us with souls and anima. What if it is the very nexus of existence, where death is but one of many great powers that holds sway? If truth, what would this say of mortal souls and their potential? And if the six or seven, excuse my imprecision, each vie with one another to claim it, could they be driven by unconscious knowledge that there exists some other force outside our understanding that seeks it as well? So much awaits discovery in the geometry. So many truths lie in the intersections, the fractals. I refuse to leave the hunt for the sepulcher until I am proven right, until I gaze upon the pattern with my own eyes and all truths are revealed before me. Yours in service, Alpharim the Devout. And so, yes, like, here's where he kind of lays it out that he's like, what if this is what the chart looks like? And he, you know, he's got reality in the middle and, you know, and then he's like, you know, and then he's like, yeah, I refuse to, you know, I refuse to leave the hunt until I, I can gaze upon the pattern with my own eyes. Like, that's how I feel. That's how I think every, every, everybody interested in the lore feels, especially knowing that Grimoire of the Shadowlands is coming. And I think. The one thing is that, like, in a way, this here, this tease for the grimoire, and, and it's entirely possible this is not has nothing to do with what the grimoire is. The grimoire is going to be completely different. But everything I've heard makes it sound like this is, is very similar to what the grimoire is going to be, except it's going to go into greater depth. But, like, this is why I've wanted the grimoire. Like, I, I will not cancel my pre-order until I gaze upon the pattern with my own eyes and all truths are revealed before me. And I, I'm a little disappointed because to see how this is very much from his perspective. This is very much him figuring out how things fit together. That means that the grimoire is going to be incomplete. I mean, maybe it ends with him actually piecing it all together, but even then he's not going to know that he pieced it together. At best, it's his conjecture. And of course, that sort of unreliable narrator leaves room for Blizzard to morph the, the, you know, the cosmology and the lore later should they need to. I mean, even here, we've got them already saying like, well, there could be a seventh force. There could be a seventh power that we didn't put back in in 2016. And is that because they knew about it in 2016 and they intentionally held it off the chart? Or is it because they, you know, you know, they, they came up with it because it made more sense and there was, there's room for them to do that. Because even then they revealed that, the you know the, the chronicle was told from a very pers specific perspective, and it has its own unreliable narrator. So yes, so I'm I'm very excited about this. This is a very interesting journey. The other thing I could see happening here is that he does Alfred does talk about arrival, and it could be that 
the grimoire is written from the perspective of the rival. And so what they're saying here is that this guy figured it out. This guy bridged the two. What you're going to get in that book is going to be incomplete. It's going to be the old model. But again, you know, it's all about perspective. And right now our perspective, you know, again, if, if there's that object, we know what we're looking at. We know the object we're looking at. And we kind of have an idea about some of the shape of the object, but we can't see everything. And so even if we're given an entire book that is from the perspective of the brokers, as flawed as that perspective may be, it still has valid information and it's still going to reveal certain things. I mean, as I said, t- you know, talking about like the history of the, the, the realms of the Shadowlands, I hope we get more on that. I don't want to say, like, I, I know I kind of said, like, we know everything about them. We don't know everything about them. We want to get more on that. You know, I, I want to see how do the eternal ones in their history tie into the first ones and, you know, and again, relate to the Titans and whatnot. And I think we're seeing some of that in patch 9.1. And at this point, I'm going to talk about not really, I'm not really going to talk about the cinematic itself, uh, but more the implications of, of some of what happens in the cinematic, but the awesome uh, Taronda versus Silvana cinematic, um, which was also a little bit heartbreaking. Um, only because uh, I had my theories for how I wanted their confrontation to play out. And uh, it did a little bit. Like, I knew that Nathanos was going to be pivotal in their conversation, but he was not pivotal in the way uh, that I would have liked. That said, I mean, what I'm kind of hoping for could still happen, but I don't want to, I don't want to get too like hyped up in my own ideas because then when they don't happen, it's like, oh, Blizzard told this amazing story, but it's not what I wanted. And therefore I'm disappointed. But the main thing I want to focus on in that confrontation, in that fight, is that Taronda gets Sylvanas down, and Taronda's going for the kill, and then Elune backs off. Elune takes away the Night Warrior power, to the point that it almost doesn't make sense. And Sylvanas even taunts her a little bit. Uh, she, what does she say? She says. Uh, Something, something about a bargain, you know, like uh, a, the bargain your master made or something like that. And then, you know, Ysera shows up and basically like, you know, doesn't, you know, could it very easily have just, you know, you know, you know taken out Sylvanas. Um, but, you know, she basically just kind of chases her off. And Sylvanas lives to, you know, lives to hunt another day, um, you know, lives to die in a raid another day, as it were. But what's interesting about that is we've heard a story, you know, we've heard rumblings of bargains and deals before that the light in particular has made a deal with the enemy of all. And that's one of the whispers from Ilganoff. And so we're left to speculate very strongly that maybe the light, in particular Elune, uh, because if if Elune, if Elune is the Winter Queen's sister, and the pantheon of the Eternal Ones all regard themselves as brothers and sisters, could Elune possibly have been from that pantheon? Is Elune formerly an Eternal One? Can you ever stop being an eternal one? Because it's eternal. I think what's interesting about this is that Elune may not be playing the game we think she's playing. 
that she may be working with Zoval. And I've, I've speculated before about the relationship between her and Zoval um, because the, because of this deal about there being, you know, uh, the light having made a deal with the enemy of all. And my speculation at the time, my theory at the time was that Zoval actually represented the light and that Elune was actually sort of of the void. And she sort of betrayed him and then wound up taking over the, you know, the, the realm of light, but because she's still, you know, because she's of the void that, that void power, you know, that's why the Naru have the void state. That's why Elune goes dark um, because she's not, you know, and that's why she's an upstart goddess because she's in a realm she shouldn't be in. She's taken over a place she shouldn't have taken over. And I wonder if, you know, in, 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 the, in this deal that Elune may have with Zoval, that he's looking for the knowledge of the first ones. Well, what if she found it? What if the two of them were sort of like Bonnie and clotting it up looking for the, you know, the sepulcher of the first ones. And she got there, maybe even he, you know, he got there, but before he could actually get any of the power for himself, she got out of there and left him to get, take the punishment. And so now, you know, that, that also would explain why there's a rift between her, you know, and, and her potential sister, the winter queen. You know, if the Winter Queen's like, I don't want to talk about my sister because my sister was here and we were all, you know, good friends. And then she, you know, got some first one knowledge and booked it out of here. And we had to banish, you know, our brother because he was in on the deal. That's kind of harsh. And it would explain why it could be very bad if Zoval should get the domination magic that he's looking for. If Zoval should get the knowledge from the first ones that he's looking for, because we think when he keeps saying, like, I come for the soul of your world, you know, uh, that he, you know, he wants what was rightly his. Well, if he thinks that he was supposed to rule over everything with a loon and a loon, you know, took that power and left, then maybe we're being a little, maybe, you know, because again, we're all fixated on the fact like, oh, he's coming for the soul of our world. Azeroth has a world soul. That's what he's talking about. He may not be talking about that because, uh, and I know his knowledge is going to be greater than that of the brokers, but if the brokers didn't even really understand the nature of reality, who says that Zoval truly does? So he may be talking about it just like, you know, I'm coming for the soul of your world in the sense, well, one, he might think Elune is the soul of our world, uh, but also he's just coming for our world in the greater sense of all reality, not just Azeroth. Like He's not coming from the, the soul of Azeroth. He's coming for the essence of our reality, which actually makes him a lot more threatening because, oh, you know, I mean, okay, yeah, if he destroys all of Azeroth, we're all screwed. But if he destroys all of reality, that's way more screwed. <laughs> so I find I find this all fascinating, and I, I I look forward to to how this all plays out and what what we find out here, because I don't know I feel like I feel like we there's a few places we could go that maybe he you know like if he gets out at the end of this expansion and I think he does, and one of the reasons that I think he does, um, and again I want to go back to the whispers of uh, Ilganoth for a moment. Uh, I want to go back to the hour of her third death because I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm saying this here, June 30th, the end of the raid cinematics haven't come out yet. So I might very well be wrong by the time this goes live, but I know everybody kind of said like, Oh, like uh, I think everybody kind of fixated on the hour of her third death being Ashara. Although I don't quite understand Ashara's three deaths. She's really only had one death technically, you know, or really two deaths. She had the first death was when, uh, you know, she she was she was drowning and got turned into a uh, naga, 
The second death being when we kill her in the raid. So her having three deaths never lined up for me. I think people tried to say like she died and then and then she got to, like somehow getting turned into a Naga counted as a second death, even though it's really all arguably part of the first death. But she never really died anyway. But Sylvanas, though, has, has died multiple times. And this is, this is sort of the trick. This is the problem. Is that she died when she became Sylvanas? You know, when she became Sylvanas? When she became the Banshee? You know, and Arthas killed her, and then she died when she jumped off Ice Crown, and then she died when Godfrey shot her. And the question is, is she going to die now? And for the longest time, I was like, no, I don't think she's dying in the raid. I think there's too much story to tell beyond this. I think that. You know, I, I think that she's going to stick around in a 9.3 or, or 9.2, whatever. She's, you know, her, her ultimate fate will be at the end of this. And now the problem with the Shadowlands and the problem is that she's technically still mortal. That even though she's in the Shadowlands, she's never actually died that we know of. So if she dies, then whatever is, remains of her soul should go, you know, the Kyrians should be shown up to take her to the Arbiter. Or at least throw her into the flow, and, and then she can go to the mall, whatever. So putting aside the fact that like she can die and then still exist after that, I believe that this is we are going to kill her in the raid. That this is going to be the end of her physical form, and and whatever that maybe her story may continue for another patch, um, but this is the third death that we're going to see, and it's specifically the three deaths of the Banshee Queen. That's the, the, the three deaths. The the original death that made her the Banshee Queen doesn't count. It's not the three deaths of Sylvanas Runner. It's the three deaths of the Banshee Queen. And that third death will usher in the Jailer's coming. That it only it only makes sense that the Jailer's going to, to get out and, you know, wreak havoc. And the question is, when the Jailer gets out, what's he going to do? What, what, where does he go? Because, I mean, if he wants the world soul for, for Azeroth, I, I would think of anything, he goes to the sword. The sword's got to be the best way in, right? Go to the sword and try to channel the power, you know, your power through that to get at the, the world soul. Or, or go to one of the Titan bases, I guess. But if he's looking for something bigger, and if he's looking for vengeance with a loon, then he's going to the realm of the light. And what does that look like? That almost feels a bit like uh, Diablo three, like the final chapter when when you know Diablo's up in heaven wrecking wrecking shit up, and you have to go deal with that. Could the next patch be, or maybe it's the next expansion, even depending on how they do this. Maybe this was the the plan all along was nine point one is you know you know we we go to Corthia and and the you know the we get the the raid with Sylvanas and the jailer breaks out. Nine point two is the jailer. Maybe he does some stuff on Azeroth, gets a little weird, and then nine point three we're off into the realm of light to do that. And, and now they've had to, you know, condense that because I can't see on the schedule that they're, they've got, that they're going to want to do a full three patches for this expansion. But then again, who knows how, where they are in the development of the next expansion anyway, maybe they're like, we might as well keep, you know, keep on, keep it on because it's, it's all delayed at this point. But I have to think that like, I, I, I kind of want to see now, again, this is me getting excited for something that probably won't happen, but I kind of want to see Zoval show up. In the realm of light, and that's where the final raid is. That we have to go and either help hit, you know, either help Elune defeat him. Maybe we have to fight him and Elune because now the two of them are reunited, and 
you know, they can, you know, do whatever. And maybe there's a pantheon of light that they've enslaved or defeated that we have to help. And that in of itself could be a full expansion. I don't know. I don't know. This is the, the, the possibilities are endless. It's fractals. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. I'm very curious to see where this goes. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. There's a lot, a lot's coming. I, I know by this time next week, we should know Sylvanas's fate. And that is, well, by the time this is live, I should say, I mean, as I said, I'm recording this June 30th. Um, by the time this is posted, you listener will know Sylvanas's fate, unless you're, you're trying to stay spoiler free. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not ready for her to die. I feel like there's still more, more to be told in her story. Not much, mind you, but I think there's, I think there's a little bit of nuance to be played out. And her confrontation with Toronto is just the, the opening act. I mean, that was, that was magnificent. That whole, whole confrontation. It was, it was, it was pro wrestling esque. If I can say, um, just because of the fact that you had, uh, you've got your, your, you've got your heel. Basically Sylvanas is like the heel champion. She can't lose yet. And Sylvanas is the face, you know, she's coming in and she needs to, you know, she, she needs to maintain, you know, she, or she needs to at least maintain her heat. But, you know, you can't, like, this isn't the final showdown. This isn't the match that Sylvanas is meant to lose. Like, basically, the raid is WrestleMania. We, you know, or, and whoever might kill Steel, Sylvanas in that fight. Um, but we are the, you know, we're, we're, you know we're, we're the main event at WrestleMania there. We're supposed to be the challenger, you know, coming in to take out the champion. And so this is, you know, this is a, a Monday Night Raw leading up to WrestleMania. You can't. You can't have the 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 heel you know the heel champion lose, but you don't want Toronto to lose her heat. So so what do you do? You have uh, you have a loon basically running and hit Toronto with a steel chair, and now Toronto's like, wait, I thought you were my tag team partner. What happened there? And meanwhile, meanwhile, Toronto plays the Nathanos card, and Sylvanas is like, wait, Nathanos is here. Which is to say that, you know, the, that even Toronto's like, the jailers keep it secrets from you. So now, you know, I want to watch Raw next week when Sylvanas is going to come out in the ring and she's going to cut a promo and then call out the jailer and just be like, where's Nathanos? And then the jailer is either going to, you know, have to get into a match with her or produce Nathanos or do something, you know, just, you know, just play dumb. Be like, I don't know. Why would you, why would you listen to Toronto? She says, she's just trying to put a, you know, drive a wedge between the two of us. We're still cool. We're still on the same team. And it's like, no, no. Jailer's on his own team. So yeah, so I'm I'm very I'm very excited to see where this goes. Um and not just because I like pro wrestling. Or I used to like pro wrestling. <laughs> but anyway. Anyway, I think that's uh that's long enough for me to ramble here. I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up. So this has been the Torn and the Goblin, number 129. Thank you to Jarrett for producing. Thank you to Kurabara for editing. Thank you everybody at home for downloading and listening. We are at Torn Goblin on Twitter. Also at the MASH Network. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mash those buttons. Also on YouTube at youtube.com slash mash those buttons. Katie is at Hyrule Master 77 on Twitter. 
So go message her there. I am at WookieBH on Twitter, and you can also find me here on the Mash Those Buttons Network on WoW Talk, where we talk about Warcraft news and guild management. We just did our patch 9.1 quiz. Uh, so uh, now that the patch is live, it won't be as difficult for you, but uh, go find out uh, how much more you know about the patch that now than we did uh, right before it launched. And also you can find me here on Squad Goals, a Mass Effect Legendary Edition podcast where me and Kurabara and Chip Talk about Mass Effect. Uh, I believe this week we should be talking about side quests. <laughs> I'm not sure what, uh, or no, maybe it's uh, still Novaria. I don't know. I don't, I'm not quite sure what the schedule on those releases are, but uh, I, I have enjoyed playing that game. So go check that out. Join the Mash Those Buttons community on Discord at discord.me slash mash those buttons and email us your thoughts or questions at torngoblin at mash.gg. Let us know how excited you are for Patch 9.1, what your theories are about where everything is going, what your thoughts are on the Grimoire of the Shadowlands and the, uh, you know, Zoval and, and Daloon and all that stuff. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help us out, please share it and rate it if you can and visit mtb.gg support to see all the ways you can support Mash Those Buttons and all our great podcasts, including on Patreon, where for as little as $1 a month, you can gain early access to content as well as to patron-exclusive content, such as my weekly WoW Thoughts, where I talk about what I'm thinking about WoW for about 10 minutes each week. It's basically like this episode, uh, but this would have been like three or four wow thoughts. <laughs> so yeah, go check that out. Also, for those in the chat room, please consider a Twitch subscription if you can, and you can also check out our Humble Bundle affiliate link as well as our PayPal one-time donation link over at mtb.gg support. And stay tuned to hear about our other shows on the Mash Those Buttons Network. Our next episode is scheduled to record live at twitch.tv slash mash those buttons on, I am going to say, July 14th? I think that's uh, right. 10.30 p.m. Eastern, but check Twitter for any updates. For Katie, I'm Nick. Ancestors watch over you. And time is really, really weird in the Shadowlands, my friends. Thanks for listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. If you enjoyed the show, you should check out MashThoseButtons.com and see if any of our other shows might interest you. All of our shows are available on your podcast platform of choice like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. If you enjoy our content, you can help support Mash Those Buttons by becoming a patron at Patreon.com slash MashThoseButtons, where you can receive Patreon bonuses for as little as $1 a month. You can connect with Mash Those Buttons at Twitter.com slash The Mash Network, Facebook.com slash Mash Those Buttons, or join our Discord at Mash.gg slash Discord. 